please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 for our study this evening. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the first four verses of Hebrews 12. Would you stand with me? We're going to read these four verses together and we'll pray. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Father, we come before you and we ask for the refreshment that can only come from your throne, for the wisdom that can only come from you. Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to our hearts even now of the weight and the sin that we carry in. May we find ourselves looking to you, Jesus, more than we ever have before, with passion and desperation. So we give this time over to you. We ask that you teach us in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. The phrase that captivated me this week in these four verses is, for the joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He looked forward to being reunited with his father. He looked forward to inheriting the church as his bride. And we're encouraged in the same way to run our race with joy. So if I've entitled this message for the joy, that we run for the joy of someday being with the Lord. This is one of those messages I think that is very practical for us. In some ways, it would be a little bit of a shame, potentially even a crime, to come in tonight to study these four verses and not respond in some way. I bet that there are some weights that you're carrying tonight, some hindrances that are upon your soul that are slowing us down in our race with the Lord. There's some sin in our hearts and our lives that need to be laid down. So if you're taking notes, this is our direction. This is where we're headed. Three places, what to lay down, how to run, and who to look to. Very simple, what to lay down, how to run, and who to look to. So verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The focus now goes to us as individuals. We studied for two weeks, chapter 11, this great cloud of witnesses, the hall of faith, the heroes of faith. Now the Holy Spirit's putting the spotlight on us. We also, we also are going to live by faith. What is a life of faith going to be manifested in our lives? It's time for God to write our story. He already has, but he wants to continue that story through a life of faith. As we do a quick review on this great cloud of witnesses, what are some names that come to your mind? We studied Abel, we studied Abraham, we studied Sarah, Moses, Joseph, Joshua, Rahab, Jacob, so many more, Gideon, Samson. And witnesses are for the purpose of what? That it can be done, to encourage us. 
We talked about if you meet somebody who's a little bit further along in life, it encourages you, it can be done. So this great cloud of witnesses rises up off of the pages of scripture and says, come on, live by faith. Come on, run your race. Go for it in the direction that God has for your life. We continue on and it says, here's our action point. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Notice that the scriptures assume correctly that there is some weight to lay down. That there is some sin to lay down. So this is our first point. What to lay down. What we're to disregard. What we're to ditch. What we're to put aside. You think of those things in your home. We have a day here at the church and also a day at our house that's called Pitch It Day. And as a staff, I get all the staff together and I say, today's going to be a little different. We're not doing our normal jobs. We're going to go through this giant facility that the Lord's blessed us with and stuff we're not using, we're going to pitch because the space is worth more than this thing we haven't used for 10 years. And you can just begin to see different people's personalities come out once we start this. And then we try to end with something fun of having some pizza or a barbecue or something. And we do the same thing at home. We go through the garage, go through the basement. This stuff needs to be laid down. It, it needs to be pitched. And it's one of my most favorite days of the year. It almost feels like Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Bum, bum, bum. Pitch it day. Well, today in church, it's pitch it day. It's what to lay down. It's what to discard. It's, it's what's hindering you in your relationship with the Lord. And the scripture tells us that it so easily ensnares us. And this word ensnare, it means to capture, to trap. You're going through life and all of a sudden you're ensnared. I think of a mouse and a mouse is doing its thing. It's going through the garage and then all of a sudden it's ensnared. And how many amazing men and women in scripture, in history, in our own lives, all of a sudden get in a trap that they never intended to be. This is different than willful rebellion, though that's often the case in our lives where we make a deliberate choice. This is you stepped into a trap. You didn't intend to be there, but you find yourself ensnared. And what's difficult about it is it easily happens. It naturally happens. This verse is not just for a one-time event. It's not for just a, a radical Saturday night, the last Saturday in March. It's not just for a, a big hoorah at a retreat, but it's for everyday living. Every day, there's something that I need to lay down. There's something that I need to lay at the foot of the cross that so easily ensnared me. We're gonna look closely at what we're to lay down because there's two things that are included for us is it tells us to, to lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. There's two categories. The weight in some Bible translation is hindrance. We're called to be running with the Lord. Runners, people that are into running, and especially if they're running a race, are as light as possible. You think about the Olympic Games, and the Olympic Games have been transformed just by the fact that the equipment gets lighter and lighter and lighter. In the time of the New Testament, was the beginning of the Olympic Games, and we know from history that the athletes would even compete naked. I'm thankful that we've ditched that tradition. No thank you, right? All of you are like, that's a visual I didn't need this evening. They wanted to be as light as possible. And so as we're on this race with the Lord, what, what's hindering us? It's not necessarily sin. It's not 
something that is sinful, but it's not profitable. So begin to examine your own heart and your life of maybe what is something that could be a hindrance this evening? So I want to give a few examples of what this might look like. Sometimes a hindrance is the expectations that we put upon ourselves or the expectations that others put upon ourselves. They're not biblical commandments. They're things that I've placed upon myself and it becomes a burden that I can't carry. It begins to wear you out. That's where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because there's other yokes we can take. There's other burdens that we could take on. And tonight, you're gonna be much freer, much more fruitful in your relationship with the Lord if you lay down those expectations. Say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna quit putting all of this pressure on myself. I'm gonna quit trying to fulfill the expectations of others. Sometimes it's a really good thing. It's not something that's bad at all. It's not something that, that is sinful. It's good. But it gets to an improper priority and it becomes an idol. It becomes a burden that you have to move forward. If I don't have this, if I don't get this, then I'm not content and I'm all, not all right as a person. And the Lord's saying, you need to lay that down. You've, you've taken something that's good and you've put it in its wrong place and now it's become a hindrance or a burden in your life. There's many other things that can fall into to this category as well that can be weights for us. Sometimes we're trying to do more than God ever intended. God's the one who's intended to carry the burden, but yet we put that pressure upon ourselves of God. I'm going to try to do this on my own in my own strength. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit. I bet you know tonight if that's for you. You know if you're trying to carry things that God intended to carry. John the Baptist was beginning to be used by God. And they came to him and they asked if he was the Messiah. And it was maybe the landmark day in his life. And he said, I am not the Christ. <laughs> And the moment that you realize you're not the Christ, and I think we would all acknowledge that. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah. But how many times are we trying to be the Messiah in the situation? We're trying to be the Savior in the situation. We're acting like everything depends upon us. We need to get the proper perspective of the Lord and to trust the Lord. Sometimes worry can be this weight, can it? We're worried where we're concerned and it starts over something that we should can be concerned about, but then it balloons and it starts to overtake our lives. What's that weight in your life? I'd encourage you to identify it right now. Sometimes it can even be something as simple as a hobby. Man, God's created hobbies. He's created all things to be enjoyed. I think we should be enjoying those things to the utmost because we're, we're God's children. But once again, it can get to its improper place, can it? And instead of bringing us closer to the Lord, it's bringing us further away from the Lord. Maybe it's debt. It's just a whole bunch of financial debt. It's a decision over and over and over again for us to live beyond our means. And now we find ourselves in a place where we're so, so discouraged. And God's saying, lay that weight down. Well, how do I do that? Is my debt going to go away in this moment, this Saturday night? No, it's not going to go away in one night, most likely. But it's something that you can lay at the feet of Jesus and ask God to start working in us to where there isn't that pressure anymore. I don't know how many times that in marriage there's a suffering because of finances. I remember sitting down with my dad when I was about ready to get engaged, and I'm like, okay, 
give me the download on marriage. And he started to talk about finances. He said the number one stressor in a marriage is finances. And I, as a 22-year-old, didn't anticipate that to, to be his answer. It can be a fairly simple thing, but it can also be very complicated. And for, to begin that process tonight, to say, God, would you begin to work in this area? 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's the heart of this. It's not condemnation. It's not, you better lay down these burdens to be a better Christian. It's that you have a loving father that's ready to carry this. And it takes humility, doesn't it? It takes us getting to the point of saying, I can't do this. Maybe some of the hardest words for us to ever utter out of our mouths. God, I can't do this. I'm casting my care upon you because you care for me. Here's what I find to be difficult is I can lay it down tonight, but by the time I get back in this pulpit, tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, I'll have picked it up again. So it's continually laying it down. It's continually saying, this isn't mine. It shouldn't be in my hands. It should be in God's hands. Every weight, but then also every sin. It's trash day. It's trash day. This is another one of my favorite days in our house. Pitch it day is that annual one-day celebration, but Friday is that weekly celebration. Go around to every trash can that we have in our house. I get it, and I take it out, and it's gone for good, hopefully. Hopefully. Sometimes the trash guy disapproves, and he says, this is not going in my waste management truck. I need that in my heart. I need trash day in my heart at least once a week. Where I'm going through and I'm doing inventory and going, oh, I didn't realize it, but bitterness kind of built up here. And it's starting to get real, real stinky. Do you have some rotten bitterness in the trash can of your soul? Oh, wow. I'm starting to smell that now. I'm starting to, to realize that. Oh, man, covetousness is starting to get hold here. Oh, the anger took the best of me this week, and I sinned in my anger. This is different than those weights. This is different than those hindrances. This is sin that we have committed against God that God's ready to deal with in our lives. So how do we lay down the sin? It's repentance. It's first having the conviction over our sin that we can't continue to carry this with us. Are we to that place in this journey with the Lord where we go, I realize this sin's going to be destructive. It's going to hurt my relationship with God. It's going to hurt relationship with others. I'm not going to be able to run the way that God would intend. And it produces a repentance in our life. I'm turning away from the sin. I'm turning to the Lord. And then to confess, to agree with God. That's what confession means. God, I know that this covetousness is wrong. Would you forgive me? God, I know that I've, I've sinned in my anger this week. God, would, would you forgive me? And as we confess, as we lay it down at the feet of Jesus, he promises then to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know we could be much freer people leaving tonight than we came in? We may have been heavy laden with burdens and sin. We can meet with the Lord tonight and we can lay it down before him and allow this to be part of our lifestyle and our relationship with the Lord. Lay it down. Maybe it's been minutes, maybe it's been years. Maybe you're so accustomed to carrying this sin or this burden, this hindrance, that you can't imagine life without it. Remember, this is living by faith. It takes faith 
to lay it down at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now we're personalizing who God is. We're applying it to our life. We're saying, God, I have carried this, but I've carried it too long. I'm giving it over to you. I'm putting it at your feet. The next thing that we see is how to run. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you to consider for just a moment, let us run. Let us run. Let us run. This is how God describes our relationship with him. It's one of forward movement. A runner is paced towards a prize. Someone who's in a race, they know the beginning and they know the end and they're pressing on towards the end. Sometimes we get complacent in our relationship with the Lord and we stop running. We stop walking. We say, you know, I'm just going to try to stay exactly where I'm at. And that ultimately leads to drifting. Satan wants us looking over our shoulder in condemnation, doesn't he? Well, look at all those years that you blew it. Look of where you could have been more useful for the the things of God. Look where you fell. Look where you tripped up. And as soon as you're looking back, you've lost that forward motion. Any racer in any capacity knows you better keep going forward. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't look back. That's the moment that you lose the race. But also in racing, if you get too far ahead of yourself, if you're looking too far into the race, you're also going to stumble and you're going to fall. So we're running this race with the Lord one step at a time. Would you describe your relationship with God this evening right now as one of running? One where you're pursuing him, you're pursuing his call. And we get to a place where we stop running for a lot of different reasons. And that's not what I'm so concerned with tonight. I don't think it's what God's so concerned with tonight. The question is, will you get up and start pursuing again? Will you get up and start running again? It'd be foolish to get rid of the hindrances, to get rid of the sin, and then not to run, to not pursue Jesus Christ. God wants us lighter, not for our own comfort, but for the purpose of running this race more effectively. So we're going to look at this second point of how do I run? And the scripture tells us two ways. Run with endurance. Run the race with endurance or perseverance. This is not a sprint. This is not how good you can do this week. This is long term till I go home with the Lord. It's a mindset if I'm going to wake up every day pursuing the Lord. God, you've given me this day, so I'm going to try my best to love you. I'm going to try my best to figure out why I'm on the planet today. I'm going to love others. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. God, you've given me this day. But we have to have the mindset of endurance. We have to have the mindset of the long haul. If we don't, we're not running this race effectively. We don't want to be like a fireworks show. It's flashy for 4th of July evening. We want to be like a star. A star's consistent, isn't it? It's there every night. You know it's going to be there. And we want that kind of relationship with the Lord where it's with endurance. That's the way that we're supposed to run. What's wonderful about this passage is it's going to provide the motivation and the strength for the endurance. Because I bet most of us tonight, we knew that we're supposed to run with perseverance and endurance. We understand that up here, but our hearts is where we get weary. Our soul is where we get get discouraged. And we go, I would love to run with endurance, but I need a source of strength. And we're going to find that in our text this evening. Also, how we're to run is the race set before us. God's got a race set before you. Ephesians 2 tells us right after that we're saved by grace, that God has already prepared good works for you to walk in. So before you were even saved... 
Before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, God had a plan for your life. He had a race set for you to run. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that extremely personal? That God would love you enough to save you, but also to say, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a way that I want to use you. I've put you in this location and this time in history for my purposes, for my glory. And all you've got to do is run the race that God has set before you and your race and my race will be unique. And a lot of times what gets us tripped up in this journey with the Lord is we're looking at everybody else's course. We're going, that looks like a pretty easy course. I wish I could have that course. <laughs> Man, I just, I'm not running so good anymore, you know. Who picked out this course for me? This is, no, just set your mind. This is the course that God has. Some of you will live to be stinking 98 years old. That'll be amazing. And some of you will not reach 45. Some of you won't reach 25. How can that be fair? God's sovereign. He does what he pleases. He knows in his wisdom. And he says, you need to be 98 years old. I don't want to be 98 years old. I, I say that now. Maybe later on I'll change my mind. But... God chooses. He decides. You know, it's not up to us. We just simply have to be faithful to the race that he's given us to run. He knows us. He's created us. He's designed us for his glory and for his purposes. So hopefully at the end of our lives, we can say, I've kept the faith. I finished the race. I, I just did what God had for me. I couldn't do more. I couldn't do less. Some days I was faithful, some days I wasn't faithful, but my intent was to run my race. So this is how we're to run, with endurance and also the race that God has set before us. Verses 2, 3, and 4 bring us to our last point. It's who to look to, what to lay down, how to run, who to look to. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. This is a verse that I've been familiar with for many years now. But I've got to tell you, in teaching through the book of Hebrews, these verses have gone to a deeper level of depth for me personally. Because after having the chance to study the first 10 chapters of how we've seen the character of Jesus magnified, it then brings me to a place of greater appreciation of who Jesus is and what it means to look to him. We found in chapter one that Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you want to know who the Father is, look at Jesus Christ. We've seen through this study that Jesus is the ultimate high priest, greater than the Old Testaments of the order of Melchizedek. Not only is he the high priest, but he's the sacrifice. So he is the high priest who laid himself down as the lamb so that he could bring us into a superior covenant, a better covenant where all of our sins are forgiven. If you don't get the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, these verses are gonna become legalism. We're not doing this to try to earn God's favor or forgiveness. We're not looking unto Jesus going, God, I hope you're gonna forgive me. I hope that you're gonna find favor upon me today. We look to Jesus because we've already received forgiveness because we've already received his favor. We've already been welcomed in to the Holy of Holies to spend time with Christ, an open invitation. And then our response is, wow, I've never been loved like this. I can't keep my eye off of you. 
I'm looking unto you. And there's a lot in this statement of looking unto Jesus. We're going to look to someone or to something. The attention of our soul is going to be placed somewhere. And to look to Jesus, it implies passion. I'm passionately in love with you. You've infected me. You've impacted me. And I love you. I'm looking to you. Not only does it mean passion, but it means priority. When we're looking to Jesus Christ, we're saying, you are the priority of my life. I'm not looking to the government. Hallelujah. I'm looking to Jesus Christ. I'm not looking to, first and foremost, mentors and counselors, though they're good to have and I need to have them in my life, but that's not who I'm looking to, first and foremost. I'm not looking to my pastor or to my church leadership, though we're thankful for that. I'm looking to Jesus Christ. I'm not looking to my spouse. I'm not looking to an author. I'm not looking to a Christian band, a great blogger, fill in the blank. I'm looking unto Jesus Christ. He's my priority. He's my passion and he's my priority, but he also has preeminence, which means he's got the ability to call the shots in my life. That's all instructed to us in this phrase of looking unto Jesus. Again, friends, it's not that we're able to walk in upon Jesus Christ and stay in that place until we go home to be with the Lord. It'd be nice if we could go, I put it into the looking unto Jesus gear and I'm staying there till I go home to be with the Lord. It's a daily decision, isn't it? Sometimes it's a decision many times through one particular day. I got my eyes on myself again. I did get my eyes on the government. Oh, I did get my eyes on the the economy. Oh, I got my eyes on my grass again. Oh, man, it's that time of year. All right, it's starting to get my passion. It's starting to become my priority. It's starting to become preeminent in my life. Oh, Jesus, I need to get my eyes back on you. Peter went through the same thing in the storm on the Sea of Galilee calls out to Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, come to me, and Peter walks on the water. And for a few moments, it's wonderful. His eyes are fixed upon Jesus Christ. We've probably had something similar, where we've been in a difficult situation, but our eyes are upon Christ, and we're going, wow, somehow I have peace in the midst of this circumstance. But then what did Peter do? Whoa, holy cow, these are some big waves. What am I doing here? I'm walking on water. This doesn't make any sense. And as soon as his eyes were on the waves, he started to sink. And he called out to Jesus, and Jesus rescued him. And maybe you're at that place tonight. You know, you oh, I get it now. I'm sinking. My eyes are off Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't go to Peter and say, well, tough luck, buddy. See you later. You better should have kept your eyes on me. As Peter cried out, Jesus did the one-arm curl. The scripture tells us with one arm. I bet Christ was buff as a carpenter. He just pulls Peter out. God will do the same for us tonight. Call out to him right where you're at. And then hopefully more and more in our lives, we're at this place of looking unto Christ. How might this look on a daily basis? Being in the word, being in worship, being in prayer, listening to the Holy Spirit ultimately, the Holy Spirit empowering us to be able to to live this life. It's through looking unto Jesus that we do find the strength and the motivation to run with endurance. 
If we're not looking to Jesus, we're going to be beating our head against a wall to try to run with endurance. He's the source of our endurance. And as we look unto Jesus, we focus on his character that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who began faith in our lives. He brought us unto himself. Think of how you came to know Christ as your savior. Think of the circumstances. It was God's hand. He's the author of your faith. Also, it's the promise that he's going to be the finisher. So this isn't an exhortation that's saying, if you don't run effectively, you won't finish. The promise is, you will finish because Christ is the finisher. The question is, what's everything that's going to happen in between? Is it going to be a fruitful life or an unfruitful life, but you will finish? It's God's promise. He's the finisher. Now, can we get a little bit of transparency here at Rocky Mountain Calvary tonight, how many of you tonight, as you speak, have some projects at home that aren't finished, that you started, but you haven't finished? All right? Thank you for your transparency. The rest of you are liars. You're liars. You're telling me that every project is finished at your, at your house. It's tough to be a finisher, isn't it? It's tough to finish those projects, to see them all, all the way through. Of course we have projects that are unfinished in our home. And thankfully, Jesus is a really good finisher. And he completes the work that he started. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident, confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. It's right for us to think of that in our own lives and in the lives of others. God's going to be faithful to finish the faith that he began inside of them. We go on, and now we focus on the attitude of Christ, the attributes of Christ, that he's the author and the finisher, but notice the attitude, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The anticipation of joy is a great motivator. It's a great motivator. It's a powerful motivator. You think about a mom as she goes through her pregnancy. It's the anticipation of joy that allows her to go through those tremendous difficulties. Some of you are about ready to graduate high school, about ready to graduate college. We're getting into that season of the year. And I've noticed, I've watched seniors in high school and seniors in college for several years now, and your steps just get a little bit lighter. The things that bothered you at your high school or your college, they don't seem to bother you much anymore. Why? Because of the joy that's set before you. You're out of there. You're gone. See you later. Asta pasta. Bye. It's anticipated joy, isn't it? Can also be applied when you're about ready to move out out of the house. And that usually happens on both ends that I've noticed. The parents are anticipating some joy usually. And also that 18-year-old is anticipating some joy. Think about a wedding. I know some of you are engaged to be married. A lot of times I'll be talking to these couples in the church and they'll come tell me, I've got 29 days and three hours till till my wedding. That is looking forward to the joy that is set, set before you. And it causes the heart just to be Twitter pated. I mean, it's just because there's this anticipated joy that's taking place. You watch soldiers go away for 18 months and fight in a war, in a conflict. And what is it that motivates them? It's the joy that's set before them of that moment 
when they're going to land here at Fort Carson and their wife and kids are waiting for them in those gymnasiums and they run across for this amazing reunion that takes place. Anticipated joy is a powerful motivator. And for Christ, as he's enduring the cross, as he's in this place of absolute torment, he fixed his mind on what he knew lied ahead. And that was his reunion with the Father. The glory that he shared with the Father. His fellowship with the Father. We can never undermine how much this meant to Christ. And he was looking forward to that. Also, to inherit the church, the bride of Christ. The reason that Christ was suffering was to glorify the Father and pay the price to inherit the church unto himself. And he's saying it's worth it. It's worth it. And in essence, he's saying you are worth it. He was looking forward to the joy of inheriting you as his bride. He say, I'm going to endure this. I'm going to go through this. So for us, as we're running this race, we need to fix our eyes on the prize of the joy that's set before us. We're going to forever be with the Lord, forever. And as we see him, we're going to be like him. There's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. And we have to lift up our eyes beyond our situation, beyond this life and this earth, and look forward to that reunion that awaits us as well for the joy that's set before us. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He hated the shame. Don't think at any moment because the joy that was set before him that it didn't make the pain less painful. It hurt and he hated it. He hated getting spit in the face. He hated getting his beard ripped out. He hated getting his his back whipped apart. He despised the shame. It broke his heart beyond measure to hear the words of the father say, okay, you've got to go through this in the garden of Gethsemane. Yep, you've got to take this, this cup of suffering. He despised the shame. But it didn't end there. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Please hear this tonight that every cross bared in the name of Jesus Christ has the certain expectation of glory. Jesus went through the cross to be resurrected, to then be seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where the finished work of Christ. We're still looking unto Jesus, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So we're to stop and to think carefully about what Christ endured. The reason why is lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. What the scripture is telling us is if we don't focus ourselves upon the suffering of Christ, how he experienced the hostility of sinners against himself, we will get to a place where we're weary and discouraged in our souls. Last night as a family, we were watching The Hobbit, uh, J.R. Tolkien, he wrote the books, The Hobbit. Now they've turned them into movies. I haven't read the books. I'll just be upfront with that. They're entirely too large. I have not read the books. So I was watching the, the second movie. We're on the second movie. And there's this point where, I don't even know the guy's name, but he's the, he's the Hobbit. He's got the big feet and he's short and kind of, I get him mixed up with the Lord of the Rings. But anyway, Bilbo Baggins, that's his name. He's with the dwarfs. And they're going through this this forest and it's thick and it's discouraging and and they're weary. And then these gross, nasty spiders come out 
that are way bigger than they are to eat them. It's a pretty cool scene in the movie. <laughs> so he goes and he climbs this forest that's dark and dreary, and he gets to the top of the trees, and he gains a new perspective, and the sunlight comes upon him, and he realizes they're almost through the forest to the river. And a lot of times, we're in the trees, aren't we? We're like, man, this is dark, this is dreary. Who could anticipate there'd be a spider like this that would try to kill me? And God's saying, you need to get out of that. You need to stop thinking about your situation. You need to stop thinking about your difficulty. You got to get a different perspective that comes from considering Jesus Christ and what he went through on the cross. If you'd like, you can close your eyes. If not, please meditate with me upon the seven sayings of Christ upon the cross, because I think it really articulates some of the suffering that Christ went through on the cross. So pause and consider them with me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Speaking to the criminal that cried out in repentance, looking upon his mom, says, woman, this is your son, looking to John, he said, this is your mother. Cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. We know what it is to be a sinner. Christ, absolute perfection, never sinned. The moment of the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. He had to endure that, taking on sin, being punished from sin, separated the Father so that we could be forgiven. The refreshment that we're desiring tonight is not in a change of circumstance. The refreshment that our soul cries out for is found in the arms of Jesus Christ. Because not only do we get to consider Jesus, but we get to come to Jesus. I bet tonight, if we're honest, most of us, to some level, are at a place where we're weary, we're tired, we're discouraged in our souls. And Jesus says, consider me, but he also says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse four, you have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. This is one of those simple verses, you think you've got it bad? It's nothing compared to what Christ has gone through that he resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. We're gonna end in a little bit different way tonight. I'm gonna to ask you three questions and then we're gonna have a moment where we pause and then I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna give it a good minute and it's gonna be extremely awkward. I'm just gonna prepare you. No music, no last song yet. Just simply waiting to hear the voice of God. We're going to be still and know that he's God. 
I want you to hear his voice and respond to what he's speaking to you. Ask yourself these three questions. What do I need to lay down? What do I need to lay down? Not what does my friend need to lay down? Not what my spouse needs to lay down? Not what my kids need to lay down? Not what the United States of America needs to lay down? What do I personally need to lay down? What weight, what hindrance, what sin? How am I running? Is there any forward movement in my relationship with God? Am I running with endurance? Am I running the course that's set before me? And then lastly, who am I looking to? Who am I looking to? Father, we want to pause right now in silence, waiting upon you. And God, we ask that you would speak to us in only the way that you can. Give us ears to hear and feet that would obey. Speak to us. And Jesus, now through the eyes of faith, we look forward to the joy that's set before us. We look forward to the reunion with you, seeing your face, beholding you, forever being with the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.